Ephesians chapter 4. If nothing else, when you're fighting with a tune like that and trying to, you lose the words. And the words would have made a whole lot more sense in the context of the sermon if you hadn't had to to work so hard to to get the tune. So, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 1. Uh, we will actually read verses 1 through 16. Uh, it's our practice to stand when we read God's Word. So if you're able, let me ask that you do that now. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope uh, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that You would uh, be with us even now, that we might hear and know and understand Your Word and be changed by it. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, whether it's... um, his dog or her cat uh, or um, his mess, uh, her family, um, you can sort of fill in the blanks. Have you noticed that when you get married, uh, you get a few other things thrown in uh, that you don't always think about, you don't always account for? Uh, you, you don't get to marry one person and, and not take with them all that come with them. Uh, you marry him, he comes with a dog and, and a mess. Uh, you marry her, I, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the way marriage works. When you, when you get married, um, you don't just get a husband, you get a husband and all that comes with him. His parents, his siblings, his family, his Possessions, whatever um, marriage you know comes with in-laws and outlaws and everybody in between. Uh, the point is you, you can't take 
your spouse without also taking everything that comes with him or her. The truth is, that's true of us as believers. You don't get Christ without also getting everyone else that comes with Him. You don't get to take to yourself Christ and say, but wait, I just want Him and I don't really want the rest of His family. This passage shows us the communion of the saints. We're working through the Apostles' Creed, some of those those phrases in the Apostles' Creed. We say we believe in the communion of the saints. What do we mean? Why can we say that? Well, we see that sort of clearly laid out here in this passage. First, uh, the church is one body. Uh, It has one head. Notice verse 4. In verse 4, we get this, uh, this picture. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus... He's writing to uh, the saints there. He's writing to believers there in uh, the city of Ephesus. Uh, But this one body idea doesn't apply just to the church in Ephesus. Uh, He says the same thing in other places as well. He's saying that all believers are, are joined together as one body of Christ. That we're all united together all believers throughout time and space. We, we could have sung, by the way, we're not doing it this week because we did it last week and I couldn't make us do it again. But we could have sung, yet she on earth, the church, yet she on earth hath union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. The picture here is that there is one church, one body of Christ, and that church spans all Time and space. And you sort of see this throughout the letter. It was pointed out in in chapter 2. We sort of saw this last week. Both Jews and Gentiles are joined together in Christ. People that, that apart from Christ would have wanted absolutely no part of each other. They called each other names. They called each other dogs. They, they had derogatory terms that they used for each other. And in Christ, they can say, hey, we're now... Brothers and sisters, we're now family. We're now united together. And that's really the key. Since there's, there's one body because there's one head. In fact, he, he said this in verses 15 and 16. Did he not? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is is equipped. You see the picture. That because there's one head, because all believers are united to Christ, we therefore are united together in one body. You know, think about it. We have a... Um, I, I, I make this joke from time to time. I'll do it again. Um, probably in just a few minutes when we take the Lord's Supper together. Um, one of the things we do is you, you get the elements, but we ask that you hold them. We all take them together at the same time. He's, he's come to make you His, yes, but He's also come to make you one. And so we sort of celebrate, even in the way we partake of His body. 
we have this individualistic view of our salvation. It's just me and Jesus. And, and there are plenty of people out there, well, it's just me and Jesus, and I really don't need anybody else. I'm fine. I don't need y'all. I really don't need the church because I've got Jesus, and it's just me and Jesus, and that's all I need. But that's not, that's not what this passage says. It says quite the opposite. We should have a, a more corporate view of our salvation, less individualistic and more corporate. We rejoice in our union with Christ, but, but we should also join in our communion with one another. That's sort of the picture in verse 16. As every individual believer is united to Christ, we are therefore united to everyone else who is also united to Christ. Have you ever... This may be the weirdest illustration ever. Have you ever have you ever seen a maypole dance? Have you ever have you ever seen this? So like when I was in like sixth grade, I think it was our school does this. The sixth grade girls all dance the maypole thing, and the boys have something else they have to do. I don't remember. I just remember being in khakis and a blazer. I, I don't know what the thing is. But you know, it's this. It's this. It's a pole with ribbons that are all connected at the top of the pole, and all the girls take a ribbon and they do this. Skipping, dancing, barefoot, dress, whatever. Just, you know, whatever. Around the pole and back and forth. And then they start going in the opposite directions. Every other person kind of going opposite directions. And weaving in and out of each other. And of course, as they do, you get this basket weave pattern up at the top of the pole. But inevitably, as they get closer and closer, I mean, as, the, you know, as their ribbon gets shorter and shorter, they're getting closer and closer to each other. As each girl gets closer to the pole, they by default get closer to each other. That's the church. As you get closer and closer to Christ, you should be growing closer and closer to each other. As everyone grows in their love for Christ, as everyone is, is being renewed in the whole man after the image of God, we should also be growing Closer and closer to each other. We, the church, has one head. And that head is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're united to each other because we're united to Him first. But this passage also shows us that the church not just has one head, but also has one heart. And I'm... I'm I'm going to mix metaphors a little bit, so just work with me. Um, humor me, I guess, if you will. Um, this passage shows us we have one heart because we're filled with the same Spirit. Did you notice verse 4? One body, one Spirit. Paul says, look, the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We, we did this just a couple of weeks ago. Actually, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But the third person of the Trinity dwells in each and every believer. We all have the same indwelling Holy Spirit. In fact, look back at, at chapter 1, verse 13. In Him, 
That's Christ. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit dwells in us as a, a deposit. It's a deposit that guarantees... It's, you know, it's that earnest money you put down when you buy a house. It says, I'm not walking away from this contract. I'm not going to bail out on this purchase. Well, Paul says in Ephesians 1, we're given the Holy Spirit as that deposit which proves to you God's not backing out on your salvation. God's not going to bail on this agreement. We're given one Spirit. The third person of the Trinity dwells in each and every believer. And yet there's one Spirit. Now, don't ask me how that works. I'm a, I'm a bear of very little brain. I, don't, I can't do that. How He can dwell in each and every individual believer all around the world, all around the globe, all at the same time, and yet be one, I, I don't... I... But that's exactly what this passage says. The one who is at work in your sanctification, in your own Christian growth and maturing process is the same one who is at work in the person at the other end of the row from you. And is the same one who is at work in your cousin who lives hours and hours away. And is the same one who is at work in your mom who lives a few states away. And is the same one who is at work in, in believers in Italy and Taiwan. And everywhere in between. He's been given to you as a deposit, a, a guarantee that Christ will complete, will accomplish His purpose. This, by the way, should raise questions for us. Do you love to watch the Spirit work in other people? I mean, doesn't it bring you joy when you see the Holy... Shouldn't it bring you joy when you see the Holy Spirit at work in others? Maybe the question should be the other way around. Maybe that is more exciting to us. Maybe we should say, shouldn't it bring you joy when you see the Spirit at work in you? But the beauty is, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing. One Spirit indwelling each and every believer, uniting us to Christ, making us one body. Besides, if the same Spirit has been given as a deposit to guarantee the fulfillment and final accomplishment of salvation, then anyone who has the Spirit now will be with you forever. For all eternity. We have one spirit because... We have one heart because we have 
the same Spirit. Uh, but we also have one heart because uh, we're filled with the same love. Let me show you this in a different passage. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I want you to see the, the result of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on new believers. In Acts 2, uh, beginning in verse 37, now when they heard this, so Peter has, has just um, finished preaching his uh, sermon. The Holy Spirit's been, been poured out at Pentecost. Um, and then we kind of get the, the summary um, from Luke. Now when they... Uh, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Do you see the, the new loves of these new converts? They now love the, the teaching, the doctrine of the apostles. They love fellowship with other believers. They love prayer. They love the means of grace, we're told, in Acts 2.42. The result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the lives of these new converts is, is a new heart of love. They're filled with a new love for God and His people and His Word and for gathered corporate worship. These are corporate activities, by the way. There, it's an emphasis in verse 42 on the corporate nature of the church. When you come on Sunday morning, we mentioned this last week, you come for corporate worship. You can have private and family worship all week long, anytime you want to. But we gather on Sunday for gathered corporate worship. That word, of course, just comes from the Latin word for body. It's just further evidence that we are one body in Christ. It's interesting. Every now and then you grow in something only to learn that the thing you grew in is designed to make you grow even more. That's Acts 2.42. They now love the things that will make them love Christ more. They love the, the truth of God's Word. They love fellowship. They love the means of grace. And those are the very things designed to increase their love as they walk with Christ. So have this great picture of unity around the Word and the Spirit. That's what you and I are called to enjoy. We're called to enjoy that kind of oneness, that kind of communion, that kind of unity around the Word and the Spirit. The church has one head. The church has one heart. Lastly, I want you to notice the church has one hand. 
You know, the church is given marching orders. We're, giving, we're given assignments. We're given a task. And our job is to go out into the world and to make disciples of all nations. To bring new converts into the family of God and to teach and to train those believers that they might grow in holiness. And you and I are given gifts uh, to be used for uh, the good of the body and for the honor and glory of Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 4. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. The picture there is a, a returning king. He's coming back from battle. He's defeated his enemies. He's robbed and pillaged and plundered and taken the stuff he wants. And now it's following him back home. As he walks into the city, the people come flooding out to meet him. And, and he walks into the city. Behind him would be uh, all the people he'd captured and all the stuff he'd captured. And then the people of the city that had come running out to meet him, then they fall in line and they come in behind him. And as he's coming in, the king would give gifts to the people. And that's the picture that Paul uses here in Ephesians 4. Christ is the conquering king, and as he returns, as he ascends, he gives gifts to his people. Now, in this context, Paul focuses on word gifts in verses 11 and 12. You can go read. First uh, Corinthians twelve through fourteen, and get glimpses of other gifts and serve, gifts of service and all those sorts of things. This isn't time for a conversation about spiritual gifts, except to say Paul here in this context at least focuses on word gifts, but he he emphasizes the fact that some people get different kinds of gifts. People are given different kinds of gifts. Some people are actually gifted with administration. Some people are not. Some people are given word gifts. Some people are given sort of deed service gifts. But notice in this context, we're all to use these gifts for the building up of the body. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The goal of our gifts is the honor and glory of Christ and the good of the people sitting around you. We use our gifts not for our honor and glory, but for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Everybody has different jobs. Everybody has different gifts. Everybody has different functions. Everybody's wired differently. But notice we have one hand. Our one role, our one function, our one goal is to build up the body, to equip the saints, to encourage each other. For that matter, we find that even clearly stated in verses 15 and 16 again. Uh, We've read these already. But um, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Gifts are 
frequently grounds for argument and debate. Which ones are the better ones? Which ones would you rather have? How come I don't have that one? How come I don't have the one he's got? Because that one's kind of cool. And whatever spiritual gift I've got is kind of not so cool. And it's behind the scenes. Nobody ever sees me. And Man, it sure would be cool if, if I could have an upfront kind of a gift. Because then... right? Those are the things we do. But the aim of our gifts are to be given away. We use them not for our own honor and glory. We use our gifts. Whatever, however God has wired you, whatever gifts He's given you, we're to use by giving them away to everyone else around, them, around us. We use them for the good and growth of the body. The church is united. The church is one. But the church is not monolithic. We're not all the same. We're not all cookie cutter. Is that your view of the church? Is that your mystic, sweet communion that you have with each other and those whose rest is one? One head, one heart, one hand, one, one work, one function together to build up and equip the saints. James Montgomery Boyce uh, told the story of a, a Scotsman sitting in, in um, church taking notes, writing something down during the sermon. And the, the paper was later found on the pew as they were cleaning up the church. It was a poem. And the poem said this, To dwell above with saints in love, I that will be glory. To dwell below with saints I know, that's a different story. The reality is, all who have the Spirit will be with you forever. We're called to love and to care for one another. Because we're all united to Christ and as we grow in that union with Christ, as we grow in our fellowship with Christ, we should therefore grow towards each other, not away. How are we going to have that kind of unity? Where's that going to come from? I want you to look at verses 4 through 6 real quick. Uh, verses 4 through 6, there's, there's something going I, I always hesitate to do the Greek-English comparison thing, but you have to here. There's something going on in Greek that we lose in English because of the way we, we have to write. Um, you'll notice verses 4 through 6. One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, uh, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's actually two groups of three with, with a seventh, um, uh, seventh thing on the end. And there's only one use of one per group. So in other words, in, in Greek, the way it's written, um, there's one body, spirit, and bond of peace. There is one Lord, faith, and baptism. There is one God and Father of all. Did you notice? Each person of the Godhead, each person of the Trinity shows up in each of those groups. There's one spirit um, in the first group, 
One Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity in the second group. One God and Father of all. Do you see it? Where does this unity come from? With our different gifts, with our different backgrounds, with our different wirings, with our different preferences, where does this unity come from? It comes from God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This means, by the way, we should be praying for this daily. We should be storming the gates of heaven. We should be storming the very throne room of heaven with this request for unity. It is not natural to you and me. It's supernatural. It requires the Trinity. It requires Spirit, Son, Father, all to be at work in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in the body of Christ all around the globe to bring this kind of unity. Do you pray for that? Is that, a, is, that a, is that sort of top of the prayer list kind of request for you? This drives our, our not just our prayer, but it drives our involvement in ministry. We're looking for the good of others, not for the glory of ourselves. We're looking for ways we can build up and encourage one another, not seek honor and credit for ourselves. It also drives our commitment to gathering together on the Lord's Day. That we wouldn't neglect being with our brothers and sisters in Christ, growing closer to Him and therefore closer to each other. We pray that this would be God's gift to Grace Covenant Church. Let's pray together. Our great God and our King, we pray that You would be at work and bring this kind of unity uh, to Your people. That we would love and serve one another as we love and serve and honor and glorify You. That we would grow closer to each other as we grow closer to You. And Father, we pray that we would uh, use uh, whatever gifts You've given, however You've wired us, uh, for Your honor and glory for the good of others around us, and for the growth and advancement of Your kingdom. We can't do this apart from Your grace. So we pray that You would grant us Your presence to accomplish that in our lives. For it's in Christ's name that we make this prayer. Amen.